Hi everyone and welcome to our new era podcast. If you would like to contact us, you can reach out to us through our website, which is www.neweraPropertySolutions.co.uk, or you can call us in the office on 01886 834 800, or you can grab us at our Facebook page, which is the HMO Community Group. So we are here with Bernie Wales from Southampton and Bernie is the leasehold expert. So welcome to the podcast, Bernie. Hello. And are you okay today? How was your journey down? It was great, actually. Not too bad. How long did Although, it take you? Actually, on the A34, I was on automatic pilot up to Birmingham and I missed the turning, so I was later than expected. So apologies for that. <laughs> it's easy but. done. So, Bernie, um, you know, the nature of the podcast really is for our listeners to be able to benefit from your years of experience as the leasehold expert. You know, can you please explain to the listeners um, what it is that you actually do? <laughs> In 30 seconds. Very difficult. I mean, I come from a background of property management originally, blocks of flats, estates of blocks of flats and and running them. Um, And so over the years, you know, I've been doing that for about 40 years now. Over the years, I've got to learn about leases and landlord and tenant law, etc. And when I got into the investor world, I found that the vast majority of investors out there don't really know anything about leasehold. And so I started answering questions for them and then got you know, flooded by the number of questions because it is an area that's very complex. Everything's individual. There's not a sort of generic answer to it. So um, I work in that area. Um, in particular, I work on title splitting, which is where you take a freehold building split it up into flats and create leases on, on the individual flats sell the flats, sell the freehold, move on with your vast profit to go and do the next deal. So that, that's where I work predominantly uh, in the investor world um, because that's where the money is, really. And how did you educate yourself? Where did you get all of this knowledge from? Um, well, landlord and tenant law, I suppose, I picked up over the years um, and all of the surrounding stuff that goes with it accountancy and practical side as well i'm not one of these people that you know a property manager who hits a problem and just instructs a solicitor to go and deal with it or an accountant or a surveyor um, and then hopes that you get the right answer at the end of it i tend to stay involved i want to know what that solicitor or accountant is doing why are they doing it what's the rules around that so that um, i get educated whilst I'm paying them to solve the particular problem. Um, And that helps, uh, firstly, because then next time maybe I don't need to instruct them because I know what to do now. Um, But also, if I do need to instruct them, then I can instruct them better because I know their side of the fence, so to speak. Um, I have been on oodles of courses over the years in terms of um, property-related stuff from practical surveying type courses through landlord and tenant courses, conveyancing, accountancy, etc., etc., all of 
everything that involves property and property management. I've just uh, taken each one of those separate surrounding subjects and educated over the years. But the majority of it is if you've been around for so long, actually you've bumped into so many problems before now that you're bumping into what other the younger people are bumping into. So experience is, is a great thing. There's lots of strategies around at the moment that you know new investors and more seasoned investors look to towards things like serviced accommodation, things like commercial to residential, HMO conversions, etc. So in terms of strategy, how easy is it for people to get into this this thing called title splitting? So you mentioned earlier title splitting is where you would um, split a property into several different leases and then hopefully you know, be able to move or refinance, sell for a profit. How easy is it for somebody to do that? Well, it's as easy as the person thinks it is, as with most property, actually. The biggest problem is normally between their ears. Um, finding the properties is not a problem. You go out there, you find uh, an empty office block or something like that. Um, you may or may not need planning permission to turn that into flats. Um, so from a theory point of view, it's not difficult at all. Normally, the problem is money buying a big office block or something is uh, expensive. It's got a lot of noughts on the end and the noughts frighten people off because most people haven't got all of that money readily to hand. Um, and I suppose, as with most property, that's where you need to educate yourself that actually if you haven't got the money, there's still ways of doing it because there are people out there who have got money. There's institutions who will lend you money. Um, and so... As with most things, you need to go and get educated, find out about that, make friends, network, find who um, can assist you in those sort of areas and um, work with them and, and do what you've got to do. How important do you think networking is, Bernie? I think it is very important in, in all works of, of life. I think um, it's... I, whenever I'm talking to people, I'm, I'm in a way always networking. My wife Lynn always complains about that, actually, you're always networking. Mm. But it, it, one, it shows an interest in people. You want to find out what makes them tick, what their expertise is. Um, and then I sort of squirrel that away. And then when you're talking to somebody else, you think, oh, actually, I know someone who could help you. And then you put those two people in touch. So you can help people um, to help each other. Um, and then along the way, you'll pick up those contacts that you need for your projects and your your working life, etc. So I think networking is invaluable. You know, the more people you know in the more in more and more expert areas, the better. Really. I absolutely agree. What about the people that don't like to go out, don't like to talk to people? How can you help them? You know, what advice would you give them in terms of networking to get over that? They need to change the everybody, unless you're a hermit sitting inside with agoraphobia or something, everybody networks every day. They just don't see it as networking. They may be talking to the neighbour, they may be talking to the cashier at the supermarket or something. They get to know them, they build up a friendship. That's all that you have to do. Be nice to people, have a friendly chat with them, get to know a little bit about their world. That's networking. Just being I absolutely friendly. agree. Just I mean, the friendly. whole of our business has been built on networking. Our joint venture partners, investors, people we buy deals from, it's all 
from networking. So, okay, moving on then. So in terms of um, the leases, what would you say the common pitfalls are that you see on a regular basis? The regular uh, problems that I encounter, I suppose, are to do with people that don't uh, work out the detail of what they're really doing. Um, and they stumble into a project and then stumble along every single barrier that there could possibly be. Um, much better to um, get educated and also to speak to all the experts that you need so that you can plan that project all the way through and not just look at what you're going to do, but also the whole series of what ifs, you know, um, all those possible uh, problems that might come up and get an answer for each of those so that when one of them does come up, you, you know what you're going to do. You've got a plan B and you've got a plan C um, because all of us have an idea about a project when we start it, but generally it doesn't end up like that. It changes direction somewhere along the line. And so if you can try and predict all of that, it saves an awful lot of time and money later on. Okay, so just to clarify for the listeners then, the things that you can help with, so you would be person that they would go to when they've found a building or a, a big block of flats that's on one title and they wanted to split the titles. So that means by turning um, individual units into standalone units so they can either be refinanced individually or sold individually and that's where you would come in is that right that's right yes uh, not only from the lease creating point of view because uh, any solicitor can create a lease yeah but they will look at it from a conveyancing point of view and they will put in their conveyancing lawyer expertise but where I'm coming from is that but also from an investment point of view um, once you've created these leases and sold your flats, you've got a freehold with a value. And if you get the wording right in your leases, you can enhance that value. But also I'm looking at it from a practical sense as a property manager as well, and looking at that development in terms of, you know, where should the bin store go, you know. Um, and some of that stuff, when you plan it out, you've got the flexibility to move that yeah, maybe the developer isn't that interested in, in the rubbish in a year's time, but if you're managing that building, then that's a big concern. Um, the practicalities of how that building will work once there are people in it. Um, and that is all reflected in the leases as well. So I sort of bring several disciplines into play in creating those leases and advising on any particular development so that it makes life easier once you're a little bit down the road. And who would you say your ideal customer was? Somebody who comes to me early rather than late in the day. Um, there's nothing worse than when somebody um, emails your phones up on a Friday morning saying we've got the open house for all these flats tomorrow and the estate agents have asked X, Y and Z. Um, the ideal customer is once they've got a deal, they know it's a deal and they're just about to exchange on it, or, uh, then they come to me and talk about what their project is, and then we can talk about all the flexibility issues and the potential barriers. So someone who comes early, that's the, the first thing. And then the next one is somebody who actually does what they say they're going to do when they're meant to do it. 
too many of them do something different too late. And that causes all sorts of problems, not just for me, but for solicitors and estate agents and everybody else involved. So an ideal customer knows what they're going to do, and then they do it when they're meant to do it. How long would you say typically it takes to put a project together when somebody wants to split, let's say, 10, 15 titles on a small block of flats? Theoretically, if you've got all the information there, you can do that in 24 to 48 hours. Never happens like that, so it's normally six months or so. Six months, so that's what you would... Yeah, because most people don't have all the information. They don't have the answers to all the questions. They have to go out and and find that information, get those documents, etc. That's why coming early is important, um, because it's not just me that needs to know the answers to questions. The lawyers need it, estate agents need it, the builders need it. Um, And so there is a lot more in a project than most people think. Okay. And do you invest in property yourself, Bernie? Yes. My wife and I um, invest in in two sorts, I suppose. We, we have HMOs for monthly cash flow. Um, we've got those down in Winchester, Southampton, Bournemouth area. Um, but we also invest in development projects, title splitting and, and minor refurbs. And those bring us chunks of money periodically. And the combination of those works well alongside our other businesses so we we also have a property management business which uh, manages blocks of flats and estates of blocks of flats actually mainly in London even though we're down in Southampton because historically I'm a Londoner um, so my contacts tend to be up there uh, and when a project or property runs into trouble up in London then I often get a call um, so that again brings in bread and butter money because Property management is just is an ongoing thing with quarterly fees, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So the combination of all of those is, you know, eggs in different baskets, I suppose, which is what we want. Okay. Talking about flats in London, um, we had the terrible uh, disaster, um, mm. you know, not too long ago now. How do you think the industry is reacting to that? The instant reaction, I suppose, for all property managers was your heart stopped and and you suddenly think about your blocks of flats and the fire safety, et cetera, et cetera. Um, We only had two large blocks of flats at that point that, uh, you know, had fire alarm systems and fire brigades turning up every now and again. Um, We were up to speed on all of that. All of our paperwork was there. Um, They were different types of property from a construction point of view and so when the leaseholders phoned up the next day panicking because you know they they were worried that the same thing was going to happen to them um, we were able to reassure them and we had the paperwork in place and the surveys etc to demonstrate that their risk was not the same by any means Um, the industry then went into a whole load of um seminars webinars courses to do with health and safety and fire safety in particular and that really i I sort of saw it in the same way as a plane crash investigation goes together the people actually were looking at blocks of flats in the same way and it's a combination of things going wrong that caused grenfell tower and i think on most blocks of flats you have to have a, a combination of things that go wrong 
in order to create a, a disaster. And you've got to um, try and think of all those things that might go wrong and try and um, combat those along the way. At the end of the day, you, you've got people involved and people don't necessarily do what they're meant to do when they're meant to do it. So residents do strange things and that causes problems. Um, they can create their own disaster. What do you think... What do you think the changes might be moving forward based off the back of this? There will obviously be legislation changes to do with building standards and stuff like that. But I think um, if anyone at Kensington actually has criminal prosecutions, which I think there should be here, um, I think the law will change to make um, individuals more liable than corporations a lot of people will hide behind you know corporate manslaughter or whatever lawyers will will term it i think there's going to be a lot more individual liability if you're managing a building then you are personally liable for things mm. uh, and that will change there will also be leasehold changes and and changes in property generally housing generally i think there's lots of people now getting involved in a strategy called serviced accommodation. Yeah. Um, for those listening that don't know what serviced accommodation is, it would potentially be where somebody will take over a property, whether that's a flat or a house, and rent it on a short-term basis for um, maybe two days minimum up to you know two, maybe even three months at a time. What do you think the issues may be when we talk about leases with that strategy? Well, we see this from a property management point of view, um, and we regularly do searches uh, to see who in our blocks of flats is renting them out from a serviced accommodation point of view, um, because generally it breaks the terms of the leases. In, in the leases, it will say what the use of the flat is, which might be you know, for family residential use only. Uh, or whatever but there is a phrase in there and every lease will be slightly different um, it is very rare that you will get serviced accommodation mentioned in leases unless they're very new leases in the last couple of years I would say um, there are practical problems with people coming and going in a in a particular flat in a block because it causes disturbance to the neighbors um, it may not be wild party type disturbance but the very fact that uh, your neighbour changes every week causes concern for the other people in the, in the block. Um, from an investor point of view, I think you need to be very, very careful about serviced accommodation in a flat in a block. Because I would say 99 times out of 100, you're going to be in breach of the terms of that lease. Um, and not only will your landlord get upset about that, but if your mortgage company finds out that you're breaking the terms of the lease, they can foreclose on you instantly. So from an investor point of view, it's risky territory. Is it possible to, um, to change that, that head you lease? Can. You, you can um, discuss with your landlord what you want to do, and you may well get a license to alter or uh, a license to do serviced accommodation with their permission. You'll have to pay for some legals and you probably have to pay them a little bit of money. Um, but that is entirely possible. Um, there are now out there blocks of flats which are entirely for serviced accommodation. You know, they've been developed specifically with that in mind, and that's fine. So, I, I mean, it comes back to 
my old catchphrase, reads the bloody lease, that um, if you're getting into any property de development, and whether it's serviced accommodation or anything else, you need to read that lease to find out what are the rules of the game. And if people don't understand the terminology of the lease, because sometimes, you know, it can be a little bit confusing. Yeah. Sometimes people don't get what all the clauses mean. Would that be something that somebody could approach you with to help them do that? Yes, certainly. Um, I, I've got a website, berniewales.co.uk, and on there they can book a 15-minute chat about any leasehold problem, really. Um, and in something like this, I may well need a copy of the lease so I can read that legal gobbledygook to see which words are the bits that apply. You know, le leases are complicated things. You know, once you've been reading them for 40 years, it tends to um, be okay. You can understand that legal gobbledygook and what it means. Um, to the average person out there, some of it is easy. You know, what's the ground rent and it's stuff like that. But a lot of it is sort of couched in legal language. So when we talk about head lease... What's the difference between a head lease and any other form of lease? Most commonly, you have a freeholder who owns the land and the building, and they will grant a lease on a flat. So they'll rent out that flat for 125 years uh, or whatever. A head lease is where that freeholder would grant a lease on the whole building, let's say, um, and then that head lease holder will grant individual subleases, occupational leases for each flat. Quite often you'll get this where you have um, shops on the ground floor and residential above. The freeholder will grant a head lease on all of the residential bit above the shops and then whoever that head lessee is will grant leases of the individual flats. So if they're going to be doing serviced accommodation they need to definitely check that. And there may be other clauses in that lease that apply for instance, not to use the flat for any business activity or immoral purpose and something like that. So uh, you would need to check other clauses as well. If in doubt, then I would say you need to approach the landlord, which in most cases would be the freeholder, to whom the ground rent is paid, and speak to them uh, about what you want to do and whether permission is needed. If it is needed, that's not a problem. It can be done with a licence, um, provided that landlord agrees. They may not agree. Okay. How short is the shortest lease in terms of being mortgageable? Well, a long lease, which is what you're talking about here, is legally anything 21 years and above. As I say, normally they're 99 years, 125 years. They're the most common. In terms of mortgageable, once you get down to sort of 65, 60 years, then you get to a point where mortgage companies and banks don't want to lend. Because they're not only looking at the value of that security today in relation to what they're lending you, but they're looking at what's that going to be worth in 20 years' time or something because they're lending you the money for 25 years or whatever. And with leases, um, that security is depreciating. The length of time left on that lease is getting less and less. And eventually, at the end of the 99 years or whatever, in theory, you give the flat back. Um, so at that point, it's got zero value. So... As I say, once you get down to sort of 65 years or thereabouts, then you're getting into what we colloquially call short lease territory, um, and you're not going to get lending on that. 
And that's when you would need to go to the freeholder and say, please, can I have a lease extension? And is there a fee for that, Bernie? There's always a fee. Any freeholder will do whatever you want, provided you give them enough money. Um, and the amount of that fee for that lease extension will depend upon the length of the lease that's left because in effect you're compensating the landlord for not getting that flat back at the end of the 99 years you're putting that further away so the earlier you can do that the better there is um, a trigger point at 80 years so if you've got a lease that's got 80 something years unexpired now's the time to go and have a look at that lease extension because something called marriage value in the in the valuation process is ignored if there's more than 80 years. Once you hit that 80-year mark, marriage value comes into play and you pay more for your premium to get that extension. And the closer you're getting to, to zero, the bigger that premium will be. So sooner the better, really, as in most things of what I'm talking about. The earlier you look at it, the better. But, you know, for your listeners, the, if they've got a lease, go and have a look at it and see how long was the term. Was it 99 years from whenever, 125 years from whenever, and therefore calculate, well, how many years have I got left? If it's 80-something, do something about it now. If it's less than that, definitely get some advice and do something about it. We always ask this question to everybody that comes on onto the podcast. What type of mindset do you think that property investors need in order to succeed in their journey? What sort of mindset? Well, you, I suppose you've got to be fairly positive. You've got to look at a situation and think positively about what the outcomes might be. Uh, I think you need to be fairly flexible about what that is you know you go into a property project with one thing in mind and generally you end up with something slightly different um, the most important thing I would say you know apart from education and uh, you know finding out the facts and about a particular property the most important thing I would say is persistence because all of these skeletons come out of the cupboard or barriers come in front of you you're always getting hit with a problem and you've got to be persistent to get round that problem or over that problem. So persistence is, is what counts. And when you're having a bad day, getting out of bed and going out there and doing what you've got to do is the way that you succeed, as with most things in life, whether it's property development or anything else. Persistence. So persistence. Keep pushing forwards. Keep taking action. Yeah. Okay. And your books. What kind of books do you like? And what was the last book you read? Uh, I don't read much. Um, I listen, so I, I have an audio uh, book account. Um, I do listen to educational type things. Um, what would be the last one I listened to? It was probably I dipped back into Stephen Covey and um, Seven Habits of Highly Successful People. Um, Think and Grow Rich came up just recently because the film's just come out. That's a, that's a good one. Even though that's a very old book as such, it's got some very um, good stuff in mm. there. Again, about persistence as, as it happens. Yeah. Um, so I tend to go for those things. I don't go for your Mills and Boons romantic stuff, I suppose. It tends I didn't have you down as a... No, I'm not like <laughs> that really at all. Um, so it's more educational type things. Um, okay. if, there's something edu if there's something sort of entertaining... 
and educational, then great. But uh, I think the last one was seven habits. Yeah, seven habits. Okay, last question, Bernie: cat or dog? Fish. (laughs) (laughs) I don't. I'm not a cat. And we had we had cats and dogs when I was a kid. Cats leave hair everywhere and make a mess all over your clothes. Dogs you have to take out for a walk, and these days you even have to pick up the crap. So I didn't like it when I was a kid, and you just had to walk them. Um, So definitely not that. Whichever property I I live in, I dig a hole, I fill it with water and I put fish in there because the sound of of a little waterfall and watching the fish de-stresses me. So I'm not a cat or a dog, I'm a fish. It's quite interesting, isn't it? And you can see if there are other people in the, you know, in space, aliens or whatever, if they were looking down on us, seeing us walking behind our dogs and picking up their poo and putting it into a little bag, it'd be very confusing as who the superior race was, wouldn't it? Definitely. Yeah, I, I can't see it. <laughs> so you hear it here first. Birdie Wales is a fish man, not a dog man or a cat man. Bernie, if our listeners want to reach out to you, with their lease problems or title split issues, how can they do that? Best way is go to my website, berniewales.co.uk, click on the advice tab and you can book a slot to speak to me. Fantastic. Bernie, thank you for joining us today. You're welcome. Thank you.